All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Can you see Did you know Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is Dave Cordrelli. I'm joined by Chris Faber, as always, but joining us in studio this week for the second episode of the week, actually, is Harmon Dial of The Athletic. Harmon, how are you doing? 
I'm doing great, boys. Glad to be here. Absolute honor to be the first in-studio guest. Yes, this is this is the new studio. It's a wonderful place. We love it. We've got the Elias Patterson jersey hanging behind us. It's great. Great to have you in studio. We've got a lot to talk about, but Chris, why don't you give us your thoughts first? My thoughts? I, I think that you were very excited to bring Harmon. You're never that excited when you yeah. bring me into the show ever, so eh, good to see a said, smile on your face for this give recording us your session. Thoughts. <laughs> Those are my thoughts right there. Heard you guys almost got in a car accident on the way over here. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but actually that lady had her signal on. She was she was going to turn. Har- so Harmon was doing a radio hit on Sports and 650. From when I picked him up at his house, we were driving back, and the whole time, well, for most of the car ride, basically as soon as the hit ended, that was when the incident almost happened so i can't remember what street we were on but i was turning left and this woman had her blinker on to turn right and then she just didn't turn she just kept coming straight and then she honked and i was like quiet my friend's on the radio <laughs> but it's okay i don't think the mics picked it up at the sports Sense 650 studio so i think you're fine yeah i mean i was like doing three things at once i had woken up really late because i finished up my trade targets piece at like 4 a.m so um i woke up and i was like damn i have a lot of stuff to do so i got up quickly and um i was literally hopping out of the shower like uh getting my hair ready and then i'm i'm like oh yeah i have a i have uh, my um uh, my hit in five minutes, my dog's barking in the background. Um, Quads is ready to pick me up. Like I, I was like in a state of flux. Um, but no, you were a great man. You kept, uh, you kept it pretty smooth driving. It was, uh, pretty quiet. Don't think I picked, I, I certainly didn't, um, hear much and, um, glad we made it here in, in one piece. We had the radio off, the AC off, so it got really hot later on during the car ride. Yeah, but. I'm not riding around. There's no radio hits in my truck when we drive for lunch, and we're keeping the AC on. But uh, you mentioned, you know, hurry up and getting ready, and, and, you know, it's something that maybe you're a little bit new to. I'm not talking about writing about hockey. I'm talking about having a beard harm, because I see you over oh, yeah. there with that beard coming in, and I know you started that uh, kind of when the whole COVID situation going on. I put a little bit of uh, beard oil in today to show off for you. You know, you got to dress up when you got a big guest in here. Uh, but how's the beard life been for you so far, man? Quads, you can, you know, go out of the room I'll or whatever you want to do. <laughs> Arm, you're growing a good looking beard from here, man. How's it been going for you? Thanks, man. I mean, the first, you know, it actually started as a joke, right? Yeah. Um, my sister was, uh, when, when the lockdown first started, this is like two days in, right? And we all think, oh, COVID, like, it'll end in, like, a month or two. Life will be back to normal. Um, and so my sister joked and was like, you should not shave until the the pandemic is over. So I was like, sure, like, why not? Um, and I just let it grow. And for the first, like, month and a half, two months, maybe even three months until I actually got to a barber, it was awful. Like, I was convinced that I'm not going to be able to grow this thing. Um, and then bless barbers, man. They like, I, I don't know what my barber did. He like lined it up, he shaved it down and it like actually looked pretty good. And over the course of, damn, it's been nine months now that it's crazy, been basically, yeah. it's been pretty crazy to think, um, or not nine months closer to like six or seven. Um, and so it's kind of filled in pretty nicely and, um, if you told me that in 2020 I'd have a beard, I probably wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> Well, I, I'm happy to have you on there. Quads, I know that you also tried to grow some facial hair during COVID. You yeah. might actually have not even shaved I haven't yet. shaved yet. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> you grew a mustache, I think, early on. In yeah, I had a mustache, but then, yeah, that ended rather quickly. I was, I decided that wasn't going to be something that we were doing. Although, I don't know if I've shown you old pictures of my dad, but he used to be able to grow, like, handlebar mustache. Like, my dad can grow, like, 
a real Italian if, mustache. Yeah, like if he if he doesn't shave in the mor- like if he doesn't sh- if he shaves in the morning and then doesn't shave at night, like he'll have like a nice beard by the morning. Like it's insane how fast facial hair grows for him. But then my grandpa's like the exact opposite. I think I got his uh, his genes on that one. But anyways, enough about facial hair, car accidents, and drives over here. Let's talk about hockey, Harmon. So this morning, you know, the piece you stayed up till 4 a.m. doing was the uh, targets for the right side blue line for the Vancouver Canucks. And you identified seven targets there. I mean, we're not going to go over each one, obviously. But, you know, I mean, it was so interesting because I was also listening to your radio hit because you were sitting beside me in the car <laughs> doing it. Um, and you identified Aaron Ekblad as somebody who the Canucks could be targeting. And I mean, I want to just kind of get your thoughts on that player. And Like, obviously, he's going to be a big ticket, but i just like to get your thoughts on what it would mean for the Canucks to acquire him. Yeah, so with Florida... And, and as it pertains to Aaron Eckblad, Elliot Friedman had uh, his 31 Thoughts column a couple of days ago. And um, what, what stood out to me there was he made the point that new general manager Bill Zito is going to um, explore moving money out from the, black, from the back end. And when you look at Florida's blue line, um, it makes intuitive sense. They've got nearly $25 million locked up in four defensemen when you consider Eckblad, Yandel, uh, Strawman and Matheson. And, um, and the problem that I see is quite honestly, Matheson, Strawman, um, and Yandel, those are basically unmovable contracts in a flat cap environment. Um, I'd argue that those three, none of them are legitimate top four caliber defensemen anymore and they're carrying heavy tickets. So if Florida does indeed want to move money out on the back end, then Aaron Ekblad is that guy. And of course, he's had a bit of a tumultuous run um, with the Panthers. I don't think he's quite lived up to expectations, but um, this past season, he had a phenomenal campaign. And I think he's really starting to find his stride as a legitimate top pairing stud um, who's just an all situations workhorse. I mean, he's got plus size, plus skating. Uh, he's got plus offensive abilities. He's recorded between 35 and 41 points. Um, in um, in five of his six NHL seasons. And uh, you look at his underlying profile this year, elite play driver. And, and Florida was a completely different team when he was on the ice versus when he was off of it. Um, carrying a $7.5 million cap hit, so you can see that he's not exactly underpaid. And um, again, because of his topsy-turvy play over the last few years, he has come under a little bit of scrutiny, but... Look, I think he I think he's a real deal. He's a legit top pairing stud and I think from Vancouver's perspective if there's any chance any world where Ekblad finds himself on the trade block, you've got to explore the opportunity. You've got to be kicking the tires because players like that, if you don't find them at the draft, you usually don't find them period. And Ekblad's still only 24 years old. You've got to keep that in mind too. Like he's just entering his peak. Um, and just imagine uh, a core to build around a foundation of Pedersen, uh, Miller, Hughes, and Ekblad. You're laughing. And so, of course, it would be expensive. It's probably going to cost you an arm and a leg. And I've said this before. I don't want to see the Canucks move Brock Besser. I think they would lose that trade. I think it would be a mistake. But if there's one exception where you break the bank and you potentially include a Besser... It would be in a package for Aaron Eckblad because he would solve so many of the team's right side issues. Long term answer, under term, he's he's phenomenal. I love Aaron Eckblad. 
Yeah, I think looking at it from the point of view from someone who, I call them Facebook commenters. They see a name like Aaron Eckblad in that article. That's what they're going to draw their eyes to immediately. Um, I think that looking at it from a bigger standpoint from the Canucks and, and kind of looking at it from a wider lens is, I wonder if that situation is explored like, it's something that could actually could happen to the Canucks if they don't go out and sign a guy like Tyler Myers. You know, but it feels like when you have a right shot guy, Tyler Myers, signed for $6 million for the long-term contract, it, it's got to be so hard to pull another guy in that's making 7.5. It's a fair point, but by that same token, you've got Edler coming off the books and he makes six. Um, Rathbone, if he makes it, is going to be on an ELC. Um, Hughes is definitely going to be a big ticket, but I mean, Ekblad, relative to his contract, I mean, if let's say you move uh, uh, Brock Besser out in that trade. You're not taking on too much more um, in terms of cap hit. Um, I think the difference between them is maybe $1.6 million. And um, I think Besser, he has a $7.5 million qualifying offer in two years. So he would essentially be the same ticket that Ekblad is. And, um, and to me, I think it's a lot harder to find that top pairing, minute munching, all situation stud than it is a high-end scoring winger. Um, and so because of that, I get it. It's a completely valid point. You don't want to have too much money tied up on your back end. Because then you're almost getting into a Florida situation that they're kind of being forced now to maybe move an Ekblad, right? Sure. Although I guess the caliber of players would be um, a lot different. Like if you've got Hughes and Ekblad, that's already a way better blue line than yeah. Florida has where uh, the Panthers blue line is basically just Ekblad. Like literally. it's um, It'd be if Vancouver was... Um, paying $30 million on his back end, and it was literally just Quinn Hughes. So that's where you run into difficulties. And sure, the capital allocation wouldn't exactly be ideal, but look, that's a situation you've walked yourself into because of Myers. I don't think that that... I don't think that that necessarily precludes you from uh, going big game hunting uh, and targeting an Aaron Ekblad. When when you were putting this article together... um the way that I kept looking at it, I, it was almost like all seven of them that I went through. I was thinking, how would this guy fit with Quinn Hughes? You know, like, was exactly. that something that you were kind of going with with this one? A hundred percent. I don't necessarily think that it has to be someone um, who plays alongside Quinn Hughes. But look, if Chris Tanev departs, that's exactly um, Hughes needs a partner. And I think when you examine a lot of the players' skill sets, like you look at uh, a Chernak, um, you look at uh, a Connor Murphy, these are behemoths, six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds each. They they add a physical edge. They're defensively oriented. Um, they take on tough defensive match matchups for their respective teams. Um, they aren't necessarily high end offensive players. You're not going to get that benefit out of them, but. They block a ton of shots. They're defensively intelligent. They help suppress shots and scoring chances against. Um, They kill penalties. I mean, you need these types of guys to win in the playoffs. And um, with with Tanev potentially departing, that's exactly the type of skill set that the Canucks need. Um, And so that's where I see a really good stylistic fit if you're putting one of those players next to an offensive dynamo like Hughes. Of the seven defensemen you wrote about, which one would cost the Canucks the least but provide them with the most value? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's tough to uh, pin down because I, I, I don't know what the cost would be for each player exactly. Um, I really like some of the mid-range guys. I like Connor Murphy. I like... Um, 
if there's one opportunity the Canucks could explore, and look, we know offer sheets rarely happen, but Tampa has $5.3 million, I want to say, in cap space. They've got 15 players signed. So they've got to sign eight players, and that that includes Eric Chernak. That includes Mikhail Sergachev and Anthony Sorelli, who finished fourth in Selkie voting. Something's got to give on that roster. And yes, the Bolts are going to look to move guys like Alex Kalorn and Tyler Johnson. But even after they sign all three RFAs, they've, again, got to sign five more players. So Tampa's in, I mean, we talk about Vancouver's precarious cap situation. Tampa's in cap hell. They literally are. And so they, they're they in a position where they've got to let some talent go. And um, I don't think Chernak would be... I don't think he's as high on the pecking order as a Sorelli because he's their matchup center and uh, Sergeyev is simply a higher-end player. Um, and so because of that, you've got two options if you're Jim Benning. One, you can look to almost try and replicate the JT Miller trade where um, you pay a, a premium asset. You're going to have to pay a premium asset for Chernak. But again, he's this right-shot guy. I don't think he's a legit top-pairing stud. Um, I think he could be fine in a top pairing capacity next to Hughes. Uh, but he's young. He's 23 years old. Uh, he's uh, he's a good puck mover too. Like he's not going to completely kill Hughes's offensive um, upside when he's on the ice with him. And uh, he's just a workhorse. And, and so because of that, you could look to either trade for him or to offer sheet him. Uh, four, four, four point one, four point two million dollar range brings you in the second round compensation level, um, and even if let's say you don't pull the trigger, well, let's say in trade negotiations you could use that as a threat that um, if Tampa's asking for the moon, you could try and screw them over by offer sheeting him, and people will say, well, why wouldn't Tampa just match? And sure, they Lightning could match, but they're in a position all of a sudden where instead of being able to squeeze Chernak, they've got to pay him. And because of that, they probably have to trade him. Um, If it's not to Vancouver, every GM in the league then knows that they're completely handcuffed. And because of that, then maybe um, a trade is potentially cheaper. So I think Vancouver has to be creative, but I think relative on, on a relative cost basis, if you can swing one for Chernak, go for him. If not him, um, I like Connor Murphy. Um, I like Damon Severson on the Devils. Quality two-way piece who can move the puck. Um, Mackenzie Wegar too. Um, mm-hmm. I think he. I think he'd be cheap. Um, I don't think he'd break the bank, and um, he isn't going to be a, a long-term legit top-paying fixture. Like I talked to a pro scout, and Wegar has terrific underlying numbers, and he played in the top four role actually next to Ekblad, and um, he delivered really solid results, but. Um, uh, the the problem just there was just that um, uh, Pro Scout isn't uh, is confident that he can he can be a legit top four guy, but I think he could do well next to Hughes and um, because he's arbitration eligible and because Florida's looking to shed salary in the back end, he's potentially an option as well. Yeah, I, I find it interesting because this conversation is brought up um, so much about what a top four guy is. Like they need to go out and get a top four defenseman. But some of these guys that you identified in this article with the seven defensemen, I wouldn't look at them and think top four guy, but you've mentioned it a couple times. Like, if you're out there playing with Quinn Hughes, you don't have to be a top four guy. Quinn Hughes is going to make you into a top four guy. So I think that exploring these these certain options, and I thought it was a great article. I, I, I couldn't tell that you were up till 4 a.m. finishing it on half a break, <laughs> but it, it was an awesome one to read. And, and I think that if they were to go out and explore other options – what makes it so different about bringing in someone else to come play with Quinn Hughes compared to potentially moving Troy Stetcher into that role? 
It's a good question. I think the problem with Troy Setcher is one, the Canucks just don't rate him as a top four guy internally. I think they they like his skill set, but especially when you consider having two undersized guys on one pair, um, I think that really isn't an option that Travis Green even considers. Um, and um, look, I, I look at Tampa Bay as an example. And when you have, look at Victor Hedman. This guy, you look at his defense partners over the course of the season. He had Jan Ruda, who was picked up off of waivers. He had Zach Bogosian. He had Kevin Shattenkirk for a bit. Again, who they signed for pennies on the dollar after his stock was completely damaged. You have an elite number one defenseman. And yes, it's not ideal, but he can make it work. He can prop guys up. And I think Hughes can have that sort of a similar impact. And so because of that, look, I don't look at Chris Tanev as a legit top four guy anymore, to be quite honest with you. I think he's a number four or five. I'm worried about his body potentially breaking down kind of like Ryan Kessler in his uh, mm-hmm. early 30s. Um, and and so because of that, uh, there are a, a number of options that Canucks can consider when you look at number four or five type guys who um, maybe you can stretch them higher in the lineup and they won't look out of place. And, and I think just the biggest problem with Stetcher that um, precludes him from that role is um, the size aspect. Um, I think it's, we saw him in the St. Louis series and look, he had a tremendous playoff run on the whole, but when Myers was out and he was stepped and he stepped up to play higher in the lineup, it, it didn't look very good. He had troubles transitioning the puck and look, I'm, I'm a Stetcher fan. I think he is a number four or five, but I don't think he's that guy next to Hughes. Um, again, because of the because of that size concern, I just think that that type of pairing would have a lot of troubles defending their own zone. Before we cut to break here, we're going to keep talking about trades. One guy you said you don't think the Canucks should trade is Brock Besser. No, I'm, I'm with you there, but why do you say that? The funny thing is people look at Tyler Toffoli and they say, or, or they believe a lot of them, that he makes Brock Besser expendable. And I look at Besser and his and his worst career, his worst season to date, points per game wise is zero point seven nine. That's better than Toffoli's best points per game season. Mm-hmm. So I think that really puts into context just how much more valuable Besser is as a piece. And I'm not saying don't resign Toffoli. I'm just saying Toffoli does not make Besser expendable. This is a guy who. You look at his NHL career, he's paced on a per 82 game pace, 31 goals and 67 points. Those players don't grow on trees. And as soon as you trade a Brock Besser, I guarantee you, you're you're going to be looking. And when Jim Benning has his annual trade block uh, or, or his, his, his wants, and we're going into an extra trade deadline, the, the rhetoric is going to be, well, we'd love to add a top six winger. And you know who that would be? It would be Brock Besser. So you've got to be really careful. Um, he, look, he's not a, a play driver in the sense that he's not going to drive a line on his own. But you talk you talk about that fit that he has next to Elias Pettersson um, and, uh, and JT Miller. Like that was one of the elite, one of the best first lines in the National Hockey League. And look, I think the problem with Besser, I think where the frustration, the disappointment lies is people saw his rookie campaign 
Um, and they said, wow, look, this is a 40-goal guy in the future. And look, maybe Besser isn't that type of a player. Maybe the rookie season he shot at nearly 20%. Maybe that set the bar too high. But he's still a high-end top six forward, a core piece with star-level upside. And the other factor is I hear a lot of the criticism about Besser, and it's, oh, he's slow. Oh, he... Um, I talk about... Uh, I see people complaining about his lack of effort. And... It, and look, I only care about the bottom line results. I don't care how you look doing it. Get, get me bottom line results. And Besser gives you top end production. Look, in what was considered a down year, he paced at a 64 point pace. In a down year where the bounces didn't go his way. So he's an automatic to me if he's healthy, an automatic 25, 30 goal guy. He's not untouchable, but um, again, these players just don't grow on trees and, and, and they're not easy to replace. And it's it's something that the Canucks almost have to lean into right now is they're they're not built from the goaltender out. Like they're not they didn't build a good goaltender. They they have a good goaltending group, but they didn't build out to have good defensemen from there. Their strengths right now in the organization seem to be Jacob Marshall and Thatcher Damco, potentially Arthur Sillows and, and Mikey DiPietro down the road. Like the goaltending is great. The defense needs a lot of work, but when you have a top six like the Vancouver Canucks have and you have these type of scorers, I wonder if that's the way that the Canucks almost want to lean into it. Similar to to kind of how Tampa did it. I mean, they had all the big time scorers in their top six for a while, and then they kind of brought in some guys that, you know, Sorelli's a great example of a guy who can bring a two-way game that's elite, and then you bring in some defensemen. You get lucky with the Sergachev. Well, maybe not lucky. Like, a lot of people had Sergachev being a really good defenseman, but you have, like, a headman who we kind of have in a Quinn Hughes similar type of impact defenseman, and I wonder if that's the way that the Canucks need to go for it. Like, do they want to just load up that top six? Like, if you're going to go out and you're going to keep Toffoli, you're going to keep Besser, and you don't want to trade one of these guys, is this just got to be somewhat like the West Coast Express era where it was built off of having a top six that was strong. Absolutely. And you look, you nailed the, uh, you, you nailed it. Um, with, with Vancouver, you ask yourself, how are they going to win hockey games? And to me, it's pretty simple. You have your goaltending to make up for a back end that isn't very good. It's, it's your goaltending and it's your top six plus Quinn Hughes. You're going to overpower teams as, top two lines. That's what, and, and the power play obviously factors into that. That's what happened against Minnesota. That's what happened against St. Louis. And it's almost what happened against Vegas. And I think looking at that, like looking at that, it almost happened against Vegas. You're looking at the core and the age of these guys. Like, you know, Pedersen's not getting worse. You know, Bo Horvat's not getting worse. And that's, I think what they have to kind of lean to. That's going on when I bring it up, because if, if that top six even gets, a little bit better with a pod Colson or a Huglander potentially coming in and being an impact player in their top six. That just that that top six really has a chance to be something that we're talking about for the next five to six years as one of the best in the league, it feels like. Yeah, it's already with Toffoli factored in, one of the most lethal in the NHL. That's Vancouver's competitive edge. Every team needs one. And as soon as you move Besser out for defensemen and it's you're taking away, yes, you become a little bit more well rounded, but Where's your competitive edge all of a sudden? Because yes, let's say you bring in a Matt Dumba, for example, your back end still isn't all all that good, and now all of a sudden your top six is decent. It's it's good, but it's not elite anymore either. So, look, all I'm saying is you've got to be very very careful um, if you're trading Besser. You've got to make sure it's a similar age defenseman under team control with top pairing upside, and he has to be um, right handed. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the other things is like, if you're going to lean into it, like 
go full out, but at the same time, you need to have some sort of things that are going to help your team down the road. I think of, you know, if Ola, if Olia Levy hits, if Jack Rathbone hits, like you're going to need to have the weaker part of your team almost have something coming in the pipeline. And with the Vancouver Canucks, you look at the top two, it's, you know, I think you, I think you and Tom uh, did some great job with the athletic and, and I think you ranked Rathbone second, right? In the prospects, like above Huglander. No, we, we uh, I think we had him third. I third? thought, okay. yeah, I, thought we had him third. Above Huglander, but- I think Trance was saying that he f- considered it, but mm-hmm. uh, we ended up with Rathbone third. I, I wanted to ask a little bit about Rathbone and we can, we can cut to break whenever the hell we want, but no, keep uh, <laughs> I just like, he's a guy that, uh, you know, I watch a lot of these prospects. Rathbone's one of the ones that I haven't watched a ton of, and I think he's going to be a huge story coming into camp. I mean, it feels like the way that he signed with Vancouver was probably in his mind that he's going to come out and have the best chance out of all these defensemen of making the team. But then you have Olia Levy come into camp, have a really good camp, you know, playing an NHL playoff game, which was his first NHL appearance ever, which is crazy to think. And I think he's got a lot of hype on him here. You hear Jim Benning in his latest, when he was on 650, uh, talking about, you know, he thinks that Olya Levy is NHL ready right now. So with the Jack Rathbone situation, how do you kind of think it might play out here in the fall? Like, is it just going to be a straight up battle between him and Olya Levy to get that kind of final spot on the left side? And then you have Jordy Ben who's still here for another year. So that's kind of like another wrench thrown into the situation. Yeah, look, I think on the Ben front, you've got to look to move his salary out $2 million for, he just hasn't been a fit. If he's playing as a 6-7, um, it's just not efficient expenditure. So you've got to, in my opinion, look to move the full freight of his $2 million cap hit out. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I think it is going to be Ulevi versus Rathbone for that final spot. And um, for anyone that hasn't seen much of Rathbone in the NCAA, he's... Uh, He's just an exceptional skater. Um, he is, he's, he's awesome in transition on zone exits, adds mobility that Vancouver desperately needs. He's almost confrontational, so aggressive, um, and pushing defenders back on their heels. He, he'll just skate, skate, skate. Um, now he doesn't have the high end hands that a Quinn Hughes does to, uh, penetrate the middle on his rushes, but he, he's really going to help you transitionally. Um, a little bit undersized, but he's got a rocket from the point. I think he can already run power play too, um, from, for Vancouver if, if he stepped into the NHL. Um, and he's just got. Would you say that above Tyler Myers, do you think? Potentially? I would. I would. Like potentially next season over Tyler yeah, Myers on a I would. Unit. I wouldn't be shocked. I think, look, Dual Brown being, um, like the Canucks last year, they opened up and, they gave Alex Edler PP1 duties. I still can't believe it over Quinn Hughes. So because of that, and, and just on that basis, because they lean on veterans, you may you may see Myers over him. But on a true talent level basis, yeah, absolutely. I, I like him over Myers on PP2 because Rathbone not only has the mobility, but he has that shot. It's He can peak always from distance. Um, he can walk the line. I like his vision. Uh, so he's got a lot of traits that I like offensively. He's got a little bit of maturation to do um, in terms of his decision-making. I think he can be prone to the occasional giveaway in a way that Hughes doesn't. Like you look back at Hughes' rookie season and very rarely did he make, uh, did he overskate the puck or yeah. did he um, make an errant pass? And I think that's one part of his game that Rathbone is going to have to figure out um, and of course, the fact that he needs to get a little bit stronger to hand, handle in zone play. But um, I could see him pushing for a spot to be kind of this sheltered third pair guy. Um, and, uh, and and really, the appeal there is he'd be making ELC money, which is a huge benefit for a Canucks team that is right 
pressed up against it cap wise. And I think the only the only problem that I have with Rathbone coming in is if he is going to come in the way that I've seen him play and the way that I've heard him described by a lot of scouts is you know he's. I don't want to say like Quinn Hughes light, but like I feel like he's going to be a similar type of defenseman on your on your decor. Like he's not going to go out there and be a penalty killer, right? So yeah. so that makes it I think leans a lot in Ole Levy's direction because you know if you have Rathbone and Quinn Hughes as two guys that just don't kill penalties, you're forcing the other four defensemen in your lineup to be penalty killers. Like they have to be. You know then you can't really use a Rafferty as your third like pairing. You have to actually have. Someone that can kill penalties at the NHL level. And I think that Olio Levy has that in him. I thought he looked a lot better this year in the AHL. Killing penalties blocks a hell of a lot of shots. Um, so I want to see him be given an opportunity because I think he brings that to them. But you bring up a good point. Like, you telling me that that there's a potential for Rathbone to be above Myers as a penalty killing guy. Or sorry, as a power play guy in the second unit. Like, I, I just, that thought never crossed my mind. So that makes me kind of wonder if they value like what he can bring on a power play potentially more than what Ole Levy can bring on a shorthanded group. I think you're right though, that you Levy is like in an ideal world, he'd be the one to make it because he has um, that more two way oriented skill set. And um, look, he has warts to figure out in terms of his own zone play in terms of defending the rush. Um, he's definitely not as mobile and I'm not sure that he helps you like he he's good at making outlet passes, but in terms of escaping four check pressure, I'm not sure that he's an upgrade in that facet, but uh, I was really impressed by his training camp. Um, he didn't look out of place in an NHL playoff game. I don't think it's funny. He's not a player who feels pressure. I think he's always from day one. Um, when he got drafted, he has this confidence to his game, this composure, um, and look, it'd be, it'd be massive if he hit, even if it's just on a bottom pairing, um, who can kill penalties, um, be decent, um, in terms of uh, a first pass guy. Um, he has, he has some offensive upside too. I don't think he's a power play guy yet. Yeah. He gets the shots on, like he really does a good job of actually hitting the net. With yeah. He's a, he is an accurate wrister. Um, very smart player. Um, and so from that perspective, I thought he looked his skating looked a lot better in the scrimmages and in, in, in camp. So that to me is really positive because I watched him in the, in the AHL and I was like, this guy can't skate. He, he's, he can't defend the rush at the NH, at the NHL level. Um, but no, he's turned that around. Um, that may have in fact just been lingering, mm-hmm. um, from his knee surgery. So from that perspective, hopefully that's just another sign forward and his skating can figure things out because if he does become more mobile, more agile, then I think he has a lot of characteristics that would be useful, uh, for Vancouver's back end. I mean, I guess we can catch a break now, but I want to talk to, talk one one more thing about these guys. So, you know, something both of these guys are good at is that first pass, that breakout pass, right? So, you know, Chris brought up a good point about the penalty kill over power play. Which do you value more? So, if you're guessing right now, and I agree with you that one of these guys is going to make the team, which one do you think is going to make the team out of camp? Oh, I, I honestly think it's a 50-50, and, and that's not me trying to caught, be, a, be a cop-out. I just... I don't know how Rathbone's going to look against NHL competition yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, on the one hand, Ulevi has the better stylistic skill, uh, better stylistic fit. Um, and as the older, more mature player, he could be more, um, he, he just could be more mature and, and ready to go. But Rathbone, to me, just stood out a whole lot more with his play. Um, even if it was just at the NCAA level, I think he's someone who could really force the issue. And really, again, it just boils down to, down to his skating ability. This is a speed league, the contemporary NHL. 
And Vancouver has a slow, slow back end. We saw it against Vegas um, and how they just couldn't move the puck against these quicker forecheckers. And um, Rathbone would be an instant injection of speed from that aspect. And because of that, I think that's that's something that works in his favor. But truly, I think this is a 50-50. And from Vancouver's perspective, if you're Jim Benning, you've got to hope that one of these guys distinguishes himself at camp and wins the spot. That's that's the big thing. And you call it 50-50, I find that that a good thing for those two. I mean, it's going to be a good battle to watch. But I wonder if the whole third-pairing left-shot guy is really a 50-50 battle or if it's more of, you know, if they can't move Jordy Ben out. And he's in the conversation. He's a guy that could kill penalties for you. He's something that, you know, potentially bring third-pairing minutes to your team. He's been able to do it through his NHL career. Um, I wonder if those guys are able to do enough in the training camp. Man, and it, it's going to be a strange training camp probably as well. I mean, it's going to be very strange to see how the preseason gets going next year in the NHL. So I wonder if Travis Green is okay leaning on these guys because we know that he likes to have his, his veteran presence, especially on defense as well. He likes those guys. And I don't think he's going to want to play Jordy Ben full-time on the right side. So if he's still on this roster, would you think that Yo Levy or Rathbone, like what would you say the odds are? If all three come into camp fighting for that left side job, is it still like 50-50? Are you giving Jordy Ben 0% chance or what? I think... Look, I don't think internally the Canucks were very um, pleased with Ben's performance. I mean, just look at the healthy scratches. Um, But I think he would have the inside inside track, and I'll tell you why. You look at that right side, and I think just because of how little salary cap space the Canucks have and the fact that Myers is the only uh, righty locked up for next season— they have a real need. I think Brogan Rafferty could just on a need basis because of how cheap he is. He's a real candidate to win that third pair spot um, uh, as a right shot guy. And if he's winning a spot, I don't think Green's going to be running, say, uh, a Rathbone Rafferty third pair. Yeah. There's no chance. No. There's no chance you're seeing a Ulevi Rafferty third pair either. So they didn't even play together in Utica. Like if they played together in Utica, maybe you could say like, oh, they have chemistry. But they, they didn't play together in Utica. Either, yeah, it's so. just too much inexperience on the back end, I think, from Green's perspective. Um, and because of that, I think really for the young guys, it's a three-horse race. Um, I only think one of them is going to be able to make the opening night top six um, out of Rafferty, Rathbone, um, and Ulevi. Uh, but Which look, is such an interesting situation because you have like three guys in very different spots. You have a guy who is just an AHL all-star, you know, absolutely dominated putting up points in the AHL level for a rookie season. Rogan Rafferty like has all the numbers to back him up. And then you have kind of the hot shot guy coming out of college. And then you have the draft pick that didn't quite live up to expectations. Like you just got to love what's going to happen. And that's the sixth storyline season. Right? Yeah, no. And- you, out of the three though, like who are you most confident in? Because I, I, I know this is not going to be a popular take because people really want to see Rathbone and they really want to see a levy. But if I had to bet on one of those three being in the lineup for game one, I'm going with Brogan Rafferty just from what I've seen him in the last year. And like I said, I didn't see a ton of Rathbone. I haven't watched a ton of him play, but from seeing what Brogan Rafferty does, um, I think that his defensive game is somewhat underrated. I don't think he's going to come into the NHL and be dominant, but I think his defensive game was, was above average in the AHL and his offensive game was way above average. Yeah. I think Rathbone certainly, or sorry, Rafferty. I always get the two mixed up. I don't know why. It's a tough Uh, one. It's going to be a long preseason. (laughs) I know. I always, so for me, I agree. I think Rafferty as a 25 year old, like people forget he's only 
um, I can't remember exactly how many months, give or take like 10 to 18 months younger than Stetcher. And we view him as, oh, well, Stetcher's a year, year away from unrestricted free agency. So he's not exactly young. And because of that, and because he's had a full year of AHL exposure where he was by far the Comets' best defenseman over Ulevi, um, I think he has the inside track. I am a little bit concerned about his defensive game. Um, I watched him in camp and without the puck. Yeah, camp look was it was like he was a guy that I was really hoping was going to burst onto the scene in the specific, in the second training camp that we had because first training camp he looked excellent. He fit right into what an NHL player looked like. Um, but yeah, that second camp that He's was going to pivot. Yeah, he, defending the rush and that's been that was. When Drance and I wrote that piece on Vancouver's top prospects, that was Jim Benning made the point of, hey, if if Rafferty wants to make the NHL, we'd like to see him refine his pivots and and how he skates defending the rush. Um, and then I watched him in camp, and I and it clicked, and it was like, holy crap! Like this yeah. is this this is a bit of an issue. Yeah. So from that perspective, I do think internally too, I heard the organization had reservations about Rafferty's defensive game. That that's why he didn't get a look this season. But look again, Vancouver needs one of these three three guys to step up this year um, because again they don't have room. <laughs> they they need an ELC guy, so one of those three guys has to make it. And actually, the more I think about it, though, I would peg like if I had to set a power rankings of of odds to make Vancouver's roster on opening night, it'd probably be Rafferty, Ulevi, Rathbone. In that order, I think I think that would be kind of the hierarchy in terms of who has the best chances. Although training camp, anyone can sort of By the stake way, their claim. That would be an excellent prop bet if that were to come out on like sports action right now. The pub, like I would <laughs> yeah. love to put a bet down on that. But quads, like you've watched a lot of these guys too. Like who's your I out of the three? Which one do you think? Like like Harmon said, Rafferty at camp just didn't impress me at all. Like I was watching him so closely because like he's been on the show. We've talked to him and like I was all on board. I watched a few AHL games with Chris and he looked good. He looked really good. And then the point production speaks for itself. But then at camp, you're right. Just it, I don't want to say he was horrible, but why isn't Jalen Chatfield in this conversation if he played better than Rafferty did, right? And yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, I'm not saying Jalen Chatfield should be in the conversation yeah. to make the Canucks. That's not what I'm trying to say. He's got a wild card coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying like he just did. He looked not good at camp, and, right? And, and I, I mean, think that he should have had some hype coming in with what he did in the AHL, exactly. And like putting up that many points, you know, having a, a pretty solid defensive game. I think at, at certain points, like. It's the AHL, and I need to keep thinking and, that, but I really thought that he was pretty good defensively at a lot of times. And I thought he looked great. You remember at the end of the 2018-19 season when Josh Tevez and him both came to the Canucks? Josh Tevez looked so out of place in that one game he played. Rafferty gets two. He looks good in both of them. Gets a shift with Quinn Hughes. Yeah, he actually didn't look bad at all. He didn't he look bad at all. pretty polished. Even in preseason, he looked good to me. Like, I thought he was great in preseason before this, you know, the first training camp in the preseason. He looked I great. I also just kind of like the way that Rafferty plays the game, I think, with moving the puck up ice. Like, he's a guy who likes to carry it, right? Like, he's yeah. he can make the first pass, but he's also very capable of picking up speed, you know, as soon as he hits the blue line and having enough speed to shake one of those guys at the blue line waiting for him in the defensive zone so that he can gain the zone as well. I know he can do that at the AHL level, but the question is, can he do that at the NHL level? Because if he can be a one-man breakout team on that third unit, like, that is huge for a third pairing. I mean, that's something that that makes your third unit good. And I know I, I always keep saying this because like I watched a lot of these guys in the HL and I think that they can do it just from seeing all the positives. 
But you always have to remember the negatives that do at the AHL level are going to be amplified when they get to the NHL mm-hmm. level. And that seems to be what I think might hold Rafferty back is the big mistakes that he did make at the AHL level are just going to be up to a, to another level when you have NHL four checkers, NHL guys that you have to kind of shake and get past in the, in the neutral zone to get into the offensive zone. That's the only thing that kind of scares me because I feel like the skills are there, but I just don't know if the skills are good enough to be as impactful at the NHL level. And with that in mind... That's why I th- I'm a little more confident in Ole Olevi because, like you said, Harmon, when Olevi was in the AHL, it looked like he was skating in quicksand, right? Like, he didn't look good with his skating. But then he comes to training camp, he looks fine. Like, I thought he was great. I thought he was making good decisions. You know, we talk about his hockey IQ on the defensive end of the game. It's high, right? And that was on full display. So, I mean, that's why I'm a bit more confident in Olevi, I think. And then, again, that one playoff game, such a sheltered role. But, again, he looks fine to me. So, I don't know. That's why my rankings, if I'm giving my rankings, I'm going Yolevi, Rafferty, and Rathbone. But I think it's really like it's a crapshoot between these guys, right? Like it could be anybody. And that's that's the thing. Like I, like Harmon, you brought up a good point that it, the situation that they've kind of put themselves in, one of these guys needs to do it. <laughs> needs would you to. Say that, <laughs> would you say that you're confident that one of them will do it? Or are you thinking like, you know what? All three are still unproven at the NHL level. This even one of the three might not hit. Like, prospects still don't hit as much as people think that they do. The Canucks have just had some super rookies that make us believe that, you know, every prospect's going to be elite. But I feel like, you know, probably two of these three won't have long NHL careers, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, the odds on prospects, you fall in love with these guys watching them, and it's just like they break your heart every time. No, um, uh, But no, seriously... I think one of these guys, again, but you kind of have to, like Jim Benning might build uh, build his roster in a way where if he's trying to bring Toffoli and Markstrom back, you can only fit in a sub $1 million player. And if that's the case, you, one of the, like, these three will probably be fighting then waiver wire guys off. And so that would be their competition, which if they can't clear, that would be pretty disappointing, to be quite honest with you. Um the one practical sort of point that I'd like to make, though, is it is going to be a downgrade for Vancouver's third pair, which already wasn't very mm-hmm. good because someone like Rafferty, he's the shiny new toy, right? You, he he puts up all these points in the AHL. He's an all-star. And look, I think he, he could be an NHL defenseman. But again, compare him to Troy Stetcher. Troy Stetcher at the same age was, and yes, it was a very poor and weak Vancouver back end, but he was playing top pair minutes under Willie Desjardins with Alex Edler in the NHL, and he was holding his own. So from that perspective, the downgrade from Stetcher to Rafferty, especially defensively, is real. It's And I think you will notice it. But again, it's just Stetcher's a third-pair luxury that I don't think Vancouver can fit with his potential arbitration case. So... Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these three guys, but look, that's the nature of trying to field an, a, a Stanley Cup contender, of trying to build one. You need ELC guys to hit. You need your prospects. I mean, that's how you build out your supporting cast. Look at Pittsburgh and just how they fill all these all these roles um, with just random guys that you've never heard of before. I mean, John Marino is now a top four defenseman for the Pittsburgh Penguins signed out of college. Um, Jake Gensel came out of nowhere as this, I think he was a third round pick. Um, Connor Sheary, before that one year, remember when he was basically dubbed Mini Sid? Yeah. Um, I mean, Do- uh, Dominic Simone, 
again, like these guys, uh, Zach Aston Reese, they find NHL players out of thin air, and that's what the Canucks need. And um, no question, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these guys. Yeah, and I know you got to get to break a second, but I we think really that, do. <laughs> I think that it's it's something that, and you brought up Pittsburgh; it's a perfect example of it. Is they have the structure already there for a young guy to come in and have success. Right, And we saw that with a lot of these guys that had breakout seasons in the playoffs with the Pittsburgh Penguins when they were so young. And it feels like the Vancouver Canucks are in a similar spot now. Like You mentioned like a guy like Marino. What if the Canucks were to get a similar guy who could maybe step in and you know maybe was just like a college free agent? It's like, hey, you know what? If you're a really good right shot guy and you want to come over here and sign in Vancouver, there's a spot for you to potentially get up there with Quinn Hughes. If you're actually as good, if you're a top defenseman free agent, coming out of the NCAA and you're a right shot guy and they're, they're offering you a potential to get up there and potentially play with Quinn Hughes, maybe not this year, but down the road, if you can pro- progress as an NHL player, like it feels like the structure for the Vancouver Canucks is going to help them now way more than we saw when prospects were coming in the last two to three years. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I've talked to college free agents who kind of make their decision they sit down with their agent and this is what they do. They map out all 31 NHL teams. If you're a center, you map out every team's center depth chart. If you're a defenseman, you map out what the left side looks like, what the right side looks like, what their free agency options are, um, their salary cap situation. Like these guys literally, literally build out spreadsheets and the main, the primary motive. I mean, once in a while you have, you have a guy like Adam Fox who wants to play, um, in his hometown city. But for the most part, these guys just want an NHL opportunity. They want, um, to stick in the big leagues. And because of that, Vancouver is going to have that opportunity. The problem is they've kind of missed the boat on these NCAA guys. There were a lot of, um, intriguing, um, UFA defensemen that were coming up like Connor Mackey that, uh, the Calgary Flames scooped up and even some of the European options like Miko Lettinen, uh, signing as a right side guy in, uh, in Toronto. So they've kind of missed the boat there, but exactly that's kind of how you have to find value. I mean, just look at Chris Tanev. He was signed as a UFA, um, coming out of college by, uh, Mike Gillis. But look, these guys, these guys are hard to find. Like for every, um, for every, um, John Marino, or Chris Tanev, you find there are literally hundreds of um, Josh Tevises that you sign. So you've got to be, you've got to do your due diligence. You've got to find a competitive edge there. I didn't think we'd hear Josh Tevis' name twice. Yes, on the I don't think we did. <laughs> How about Jalen Chaffield? Okay, that's enough. We gotta, we gotta go to break. It's been. 48 minutes. I think this is the longest we've ever gone without taking a break. So really good stuff, Harmon. On the other side of the break, we'll talk about free agents. We'll talk about goaltending. We're here with Harmon Dial. You're listening to the Canucks Conversation. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for sports cards and trading card games. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. And did I mention that they're the presenting sponsor of this very podcast? Join them for Thursday night breaks at 5 p.m. Pacific every Thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience. Purchase your spot on ZephyrEpic.com or watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash ZephyrEpic. You can follow them on all social media platforms, including Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ZephyrEpic. That's Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Just for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners, you can also save $5 off your purchase with the promo code CANUCKSCONVO. Some restrictions apply, but you get free shipping on all orders over $50. Again, follow them on all social media platforms at Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. All right, and big shout out to Zephyr Epic. If you didn't see it, we uh, pulled a nice jersey card as well. Uh, this Beauty. little pack opening. What did you think of your fa- uh, first hashtag Hughes hunt there, Harm? 
not bad, honestly. I don't think we ended up with the uh, um, with the ultimate prize, but got a decent Elias Pedersen card. A couple decent. Um, we got a we, we got a jersey card. Colin we got a White. Tobias Bjornhort. Yeah, I can't even. I swear, <laughs> I'm. I'm. I swear, I'm not actually bad at pronouncing players' names, but I the the players that we actually pulled, two of them, <laughs> like I could not. Like Chikrin is the one player that I could never pronounce, yeah. and then Tobias Bjorn, I, Bjornfoot or whatever Bjornfoot, isn't it? Bjornfoot, whatever. Like I can't. <laughs> like those are the two like, guys, and I'm just like, what the hell, man? Like these are the two guys I know I can't pronounce, but otherwise I'm, I'm good. It's but, like when you try and pronounce them from their native language. That's the hardest part. Like. If you if you just North Americanize all their names like Bjornfoot, right? That, that's probably not how they say it over there. Yeah. But like when we do it that way, but yeah, Chitrin's one that gets you. And dude, this, the it's the H's, man. Like yeah. <laughs> coming from a guy whose name starts with H. <laughs> no man, yeah. All, right, all well, these guys with H in their name, man. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Uh, but um, yeah, we want to get into it a little bit more because um, I I don't think there's a lot to continually discuss in in what's going to happen day to day with the Vancouver Canucks. But what I feel right now is I think a week from now, things are just going to start popping off. I think there's going to be a lot of contracts given out. I think that there's going to be some trades popping off. Um, I wonder if the Vancouver Canucks are going to be included in a lot of those trades. Um, Quads, I'll start with you if you want to start off with it. Who do you think is the first domino to fall out of Canucks re-signing their players? The first one that they re-sign or the first one that they trade? Let's go with re-sign first, and then we'll throw trade out after. I think Tyler Mott's going to be the first contract they to sign. re-sign. Yeah, hmm. I think so. I think he's going to be the first one. Uh, when do they have to qualify their prospects by? What's the date for that? October seventh. RFA's. Yeah, October seventh. Mm. Interesting. I still think it's going to be Tyler Mott, but I do think we're going to see a Jake Vertanen trade. I really do. I I said it on this show again. Like Jim Benning basically read Jake Vertanen's eulogy to for the media. what like a fifth fifth round pick and a bag of pucks. Yeah, like. <laughs> exactly. Like who knows what they're going to be able to get? But you know what? In talking to different people, like I don't, I don't know what you've heard, but di- talking to different people, like the consensus is they could probably get a third round pick, and there might be a GM stupid enough out there to give them a second. The for problem with Vertanen is he has an arb case yes, and he could make 3 too. million. And so I can promise you there are GMs around the league that are looking at a lot of these guys and are like, and are like, they're just probably not going to get qualified. And, and they don't, I, I promise you there aren't many teams out there that want Jake Vertanen at 3 million. There are a lot of them that would want him at say 2 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think his contract situation is going to inhibit their potential return. Um, and the other factor too is, I mean, look at Edmonton. They're trying to move Andreas Athanasiu. They paid two second round picks at the deadline for him. Um, he's a former 30 goal guy. And because he's in the same situation as Vertanen where he has a compelling arbitration case and the Oilers can't afford him. They're trying to move Ken Holland's trying to move him and teams are going, well, you're not going to qualify him. So why would I pay a pick to get him when he's probably just going to land on the free agent market? So because of that, it hurts the stock of someone like Vertanen. It hurts the stock of someone like Troy Stetcher, who is also in a similar spot where he could make say 2.5 million on, uh, on his next contract because he's arbitration eligible. So just kind of complicates things from a trade front. With um with Jake Vertanen, we'll stick on that for a little bit because everybody loves when people <laughs> talk about Jake Vertanen on a podcast. Quads, do you think that, and Harmon brings up a good point, you know, with Jake Vertanen and his ARB case, you know, potentially being around $3 million. But last year, 
Do you think his value was higher, even though he came out and had a better season, scored more goals, was on pace for 20 goals? You would think that his stock would rise. But because of the contract, I wonder, do you think that his stock has actually dropped since last offseason when we were having these exact same trade Jake for Tannen conversations? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, the, the, you think the it's dropped? Yeah, okay. for sure. I think the Canucks really believed that he was going to break out this year, and a lot of other teams probably felt the same way. I don't think it was till the Canucks saw him in the playoffs that they really decided, like, okay, this guy just isn't going to figure it out. So, I mean, yeah, I think his value probably was higher last offseason. That was probably the time to trade him. And, I mean, looking at what it could come in at, at $3 million, like, even if you have a little bit of term with that as well, like, if you look at Jake Vitan at three years, $3 million, is that too much of a gamble for, like, any team arm? <laughs> yeah, there's no way. You're not paying, <laughs> you're not, you're not paying, like, look, Vertanen has all, we, we know it. We know the Jake story at this point. All the physical tools, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't, he's not someone, like, we, we talk about these hockey cliches, like, quote unquote, who, who are players you win with? Jake Vertanen is, I, th- I, I promise you, a lot of teams view him as a player that you don't win with. And I'll tell you why. It's because of the lack of discipline. You, you look at that penalty he took. I think it was in Game 7 against Vegas. Dumb retaliatory. You look at kind of the lack of defensive commitment. It's not just that he's a below-average def- two-way player. Like That's not the problem. It's that he doesn't care. Right. And like he's coming out of camp out of shape. And it's just like when you have a team that's working towards pushing and like maximizing its ceiling and you're trying to come together and win a Stanley Cup and you have one guy who's not pulling his weight, he could have all the talent in the world. He could actually be a useful piece. And I genuinely think Jake Vertanen is a useful player. But when you consider those intangibles, like it kills you in the locker room. And I think that's why it's just so frustrating. And I think top to down, the organization is just kind of at a boiling point. And um, again, I think in the right circumstance for the right dollar value, he could like, I'd take a flyer on him if I was a team and I could get him for say a million and a half, two million gamble on him on, on a third line. I think he has good scoring punch, but, um, I just, I, I think we've we've str- we've stretched this story too far. Yeah, I think that the interesting thing with with so many players that the Canucks have to deal right now in potential trades. I mean, you look at Brandon Sutter as a guy that's been floated out there a little bit, but the big problem with Sutter is his contract. It's strange to me that we're having this conversation about Jake and his contract being a problem as he hasn't even signed a contract yet. But the situation that he's in puts him in a spot where it's like, is there is there a timeline where Jake Rickton like? can't sign an NHL contract because of what the situation is with RFA? No, I mean, the the possibilities are, A, he can sign for below his arbitration case, which from time to time you do see it. Like, I've talked to agents, and if they like the situation where they're at, um, and they, look, a lot of GMs are going to go up to an agent and say, we're not going to qualify your guy at, say, $3 million. We'll give you, let's say, 2.25, and we'll give you two years. Take it or leave it. And so if you're the agent, then you go, you talk to your client, and you say, your options are you either take this or you're going to become a free agent. And so if they like the situation, they can either take it or they become a UFA. And then you have, like, the Ben Hutton situation. He signed for one point, I think it was five, on a one-year deal. So uh, Jake won't have a problem sticking, sticking and getting an NHL contract. It's just I don't think he's going to... Um, unless Toffoli walks and the Canucks are in a situation where it's like we need a right winger, mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that he's going to what, live up to his That's what arc. I kind of bring up like when 
when you joked earlier and said for what a fifth round pick, I think people are like, how is a talent like Jake for Tanning going for a fifth round pick? But that's what I mean when I talk about the situation, because there's, there's definitely a path where he does just go and have a Ben Hutton like contract. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a very likely path that the Canucks aren't happy with. Let's say a fifth round pick is the best that they can get for Jake for Tannen. You know, maybe they're just going to not go that way and not qualify him and then kind of lose that pick as well. And he just goes on a thing like Jake Vertanen signs somewhere. But I think that Vertanen's value is higher than Ben Hutton. So maybe that's why they couldn't trade the rights to Ben Hutton in an RFA contract to somebody else. But I wonder with Jake, like, if if he needs to make $2.5 million on a contract, like, there, there would have to be another NHL team that would be willing to sign yeah. that and make a trade for him. But that's why we're hearing the return not be something like maybe one GM is going to give a second-round pick. Potentially, mm-hmm. it's a third-round pick. That's why we're hearing more of it could be a fifth-round pick. And I think a lot of people hear that, you know, on radio or on podcasts, and they think, well, how the hell is he worth a fifth-round pick? That just doesn't seem right about Jake Vertanen. But that's kind of the situation that we have here is because of the contract, which isn't even signed, that's why his value has dropped so much. I promise you that there are a lot of RFAs in the same situation because of the flat cap. I um, I, think, I can't remember who exactly said this, but someone guessed that there could be as, as many as 32 RFAs that go unqualified. And again, I brought up the Athens CU example. That's a former 30-goal guy that Edmonton probably can only get a mid-round pick back for um, if they decide to try and flip him. And so, look... It only takes one GM to become infatuated with a player. And um, I'm not saying it's it's impossible to land a third-round pick or, or even um, and a second-round pick maybe a little bit pie in the sky, but it's, I don't think it's impossible. But I think it's just you've got to temper your expectations for what he's realistically worth. You look at the, you look at the 18 goals and 36 points, he's not going to be face value on his trade return. Yeah, absolutely. And, like... Quads, what's the worst case scenario, do you think, for Jake Vertanen in the bank? Specifically for the Canucks that are an organization, because, you know, there's there's bad situations where Jake ends up in Detroit. That's maybe not a great spot for him. Well, you know what? <laughs> I he would get some ice time, but I wonder... I don't, I don't know what's worse. Sorry, I, I'm cutting you off because I know your question. Sorry, I, don't know I, what's I cut worse. you off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's worse. If they don't qualify him and he just becomes a UFA, or if they just sign his ARB contract. Like, I'd say signing his ARB contract is the worst case scenario for the Canucks. Best case scenario for Jake, but I mean, for the Canucks, I think... It's, you know, that's it. But, I mean, is losing him to free agency a bad situation? Yeah, it is. So, I don't know. I think I think signing him would be a worse idea, though. And But, you know, Harm, you brought it up. There's a lot of these situations around the NHL, probably more situations than there are NHL teams. So, it, it's hard to kind of scramble together and think of a team that, you know, would be interested in Jake Vertanen when you bring up a guy like Anthony Seu, who's the hardest one for me to pronounce, by the way. Uh, it's those H's, you're right. Uh, but, like, I, I wonder how many teams could actually be interested in Jake Vertanen at that money. Like, do you think that there is a spot where there is that one GM who wants to take a shot on a guy who was drafted so high? And, like, how do you, like, if you had to project how this is going to play out with Jake Vertanen, what do you think the most likely route is? Well, I think a lot of it hinges on Toffoli because if um, if you re-sign him, then all of a sudden you've got him, you've got Besser, um, and you've also got in a couple of years, or not even a couple of years after next season, Pod Colson coming on your right wing too. Um, and so from that perspective, then it's a lot easier to walk from Jake. Um, I think if Toffoli, if he can't figure out uh, figure out an extension for him, then, I mean, it depends on who else is out there as far as the UFA market and, and who you could perhaps cobble together. 
Um, and a lot of it, I think, depends on Josh Levo and where you think he's at. I, I Look, I like Levo, but his skating ability is it's barely NHL level. Um, and you talk about a major knee injury, and I'm I'm a little bit concerned about that. I'm um, again I like him as a player. Back right now, by the way, Quads is about to go at Harmon. I'm about to have a couple of twenty year olds fighting in front of me. <laughs> no, I look. I've been. <laughs> He's right. From day <laughs> no, listen. Like from day one, I've been pumping the Josh Levo train. Right. Like I've been right there with Quads, but um, that skating aspect is valid, and I think that could perhaps open the possibility up for Vertanen to return, especially because look, he can put the puck in the back of the net. Um, he does give you a lot of speed, which this team actually needs more of, not less of. Um, so that's perhaps one scenario where you could see him uh, coming back. And yeah, I think a lot of it just hinges on what happens with Toffoli. Yeah, and Toffoli makes it so interesting because we're talking about Toffoli as a guy who's going to be surely in the top six for the Vancouver Canucks. When Jake Vertanen, you don't really want him to be that sure fit that you're going to, you don't want to see it at all really to be in the top six. But I wonder if the way that the, that Travis green sets this lineup up, like people can call Adam got at the third line center. He doesn't get played like a third line center. He's going to get played like yeah. a fourth line center. So I wonder if that line has the potential to have an Adam got and Jake for Or do you think that's just too much offense and not enough defensive reliability there quads? Well, I mean, we've seen that line, right? And it was unplayable that one game in Minnesota. And that was just something Travis Green wasn't going to go to. And I mean, even with Antoine Roussel on that line, it just didn't have enough of a two-way impact that Travis Green felt comfortable playing them. Again, like even with Defoli on it, it was like unplayable. They couldn't they couldn't make that line work. So, I mean, I don't see Jake Vertanen being the answer on that line. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, I think it's too much offense and not enough defense. And I think when you look at the trade-off of how much offense they're going to bring you, it's just not worth it. It's not worth giving them more than, like, 10 minutes a night. So, Harm, where would Vertanen make sense in a Canucks lineup next season if Toffoli is back? Yeah, um, if it's it makes tough. Sense at That's all. why, like, I mean, in an ideal world, what the Canucks really need and... I, I, I didn't make this a storyline ahead of the trade deadline because, A, I didn't think it was realistically possible for them to upgrade the, th- the 3C rule anyway. Uh, but I talked to uh, a rival team scout who sort of assessed Vancouver's situation and said, and this was at the height of Adam Gaudet's, like stock, right? Like This is when people uh, were really excited and jacked up about him. He looked at Gaudet and said, the Canucks need a 3C upgrade because Gaudet has the offensive production to fit that bill. But um, as a two-way piece, he's just not there. And you look at the underlying result. Yes, he scored at a 46-point pace per 82 games um, in the regular season, but he was one of the most sheltered players in the NHL when you look at his matchups. And he scored a lot. And despite that, the Canucks were outscored pretty thoroughly with Goddard mm-hmm. on the ice. So I think that just gives you an indication of the defensive side of his game just isn't quite there yet. And I'm still trying to figure out what exactly he is. Like, is he just going to be the next Sam Gagne where you've got to, need, you, you've got to put, put him in a specialized role where, okay, he's going to help you on the power play. And he's just this, whether it's on the wing or, or up the middle, this kind of just bottom six piece who plays sheltered minutes to give you uh, give you offensive upside um i look back at Gagne in columbus and he was a 50 point player there on their fourth line and so maybe that's the type of fit that 
best makes sense for him. And if that's the case, then you do need a 3C upgrade. And we saw him lose his spot to Brandon Sutter, who became the third line center in the playoffs. Sutter's not good enough, quite honestly, to be a championship caliber 3C. Um, And look, it would take a huge mountainous pressure off of Bo Horvat because Horvat's taking all of... You you know who who would be a perfect fit for the Canucks? And the Canucks won't be able to get him unless they give up a piece, and so it's not worth it. But Yol Eriksson Ek in Minnesota, Mm. elite defensive player, kills penalties, this uh, big presence, who can also chip in with 30 points. Uh, And so that's the type of player that the Canucks ideally would love to add to their third line. And so without that piece... It's just tough for me to look at a fit for Vertanen. It's it's like sure because you have no other options, you might throw him there. But like a Vertanen Godet line, as Quads alluded to, it's it's fine. Like um, it's certainly not going to be an advantage for you. Um, you're going to have the same bottom six issues that you did this past year. Um, and if you're not playing Vertanen with Godet, then. Beagle, Brendan Sutter, you're putting him yeah. next to offensive black holes. So <laughs> really, I think the Canucks need an upgrade down the middle too. Um, and that's kind of part of the reason why Vertanen's found it difficult to consistently fit on a line in Vancouver. And I think that that situation and what you talk about, and I think this has been uh, your your partner on the beat, Thomas Trance, has been pounding this drum about a third line center upgrade. And I think that that's like what they need is what they thought they were or what they hoped they were getting for in Brandon Sutter. That's yeah, what they exactly, really need. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a really that's the good third point. line center they need. But I like, like at the money that Jake Vertanen would have to sign, I, I would love to see like a, a very progressive fourth line. And this is something I've heard you talk about a lot, Harm, on, on a lot of things and a lot of podcasts. It's a progressive fourth line, but they might be making too much money to actually make it happen with these type of players. But could you imagine like if they were to get an upgrade at 3C and kind of you see some of these contracts come out and you have a fourth line of the future of potentially Tyler Mott, Adam Gaudet and Jake Vertanen. You know, a line that can score goals. Tyler Mott's going to be able to bring energy. All three of those guys, I think, can bring energy. I actually really like Adam Gaudet's energy in a game. I think that, you know, even seeing him rough it up a little bit with Ryan Reeves in that series against the Vegas Golden Knights, like, you know, you saw guys in the scrums, they'd almost be afraid to grab Ryan Reeves or even get a glove on him. Adam Gaudet's putting his glove in Ryan Reeves' face in scrums. Like, that's that's something that I like about Adam Gaudet's. Godet's game is, yeah, he's got to work on some things defensively, especially as a center. If he's going to be a center in the NHL moving forward, he probably has some things to work on in the defensive zone, but the energy is never lacking with Adam Godet. For sure. So I think that, you know, looking at how that happens, and I just, I look at the way this team's kind of get, if that's your fourth line of the future, is there a way to get there, Quads, or do you think that the contract situation is just too tough? It's the, tough right the now. The tough one is Jake for Tannen to stay yeah. on that fourth line, right? But I really like the fourth line potentially being Tyler Mott and Adam Gaudet moving forward, who should be on low money contracts for the future here. Yeah. Especially the next two, three years. Sorry. It's interesting because moving forward, right? Like there, you identify a few targets. Like there's Philip Denol in Montreal, who would be great on the Canucks third line. There's Anthony Sorelli in Tampa Bay, who again, like you'd have to pay, but he'd be great in a third line role playing behind Bo Horvat and Elias Think Patterson. about that center group. Exactly. If, if you get right? one of those guys and you can get rid of a Sutter and a Beagle... Like, think of that center group from top to bottom. Exactly, but how can you? Nobody wants Sutter or Beagle. Like, they tried so hard to move Sutter last season, and they couldn't do it. I mean, I don't think they even tried to move Beagle yet, but, like, guess what? When it happens, they're not going to have many suitors for these guys' services. So, I mean, it's it's tough. It's going to be tough for them to do anything of substance, but, man, 
it'd be huge for them to get a guy like Denol or Sorelli in the third line center role. Like that'd be huge for the Canucks. It'd be such an upgrade on what they're rolling out right now. So I don't know. Like I'd love to see it. I just don't think it's feasible right now. How about you, Harm? Like potential for that to happen next year. It's got to be tough, but you look at maybe two, three years down the road. Like, is, is that what the Canucks should be shooting for? Like three years from now, when some of these bad contracts come up, is that what they kind of want to project? Like, would Adam Godet potentially be a fourth-line guy and they can make an upgrade within three years? I mean, you have some time to actually yeah. set this team up for a cup contender. And just hearing you guys, like, mention some of these guys as a 3C, you put them behind a Horvat and a Pedersen, like, that's what a championship team starts to feel like. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, it's a great idea in theory. And instead of maybe Jake Futan in two or three years, it's like Cole Lind, right? right? And mm-hmm. it's like a Mott got at Lind. And I think that would be a really good fourth line. But the key to enable that to work as an effective bottom six group is you need one hell of a third line. And I think Vancouver still needs... Pod Colson's name potentially come to mind? Yeah, like those guys need to hit. Like, uh, not only because they're Vancouver's best shots at landing top six slash middle six pieces, but because they'd be cheap on their ELCs. And really... When you look at Vancouver, what you would love is for someone like Pod Colson or Hoglander to hit, and you could bump someone like Pearson. And Pearson's probably not with the team in two or three years yeah. because he's uh, due for another contract. But like, if you're able to bump a Pearson down to a third line and 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 and, and just kind of build a roster out that way, like you look at teams like Vegas, and they had Alex Tuck on that third line, man. And you look yeah. at Pittsburgh in 2017, they had Phil Kessel on their third line and they had Haglin and Benino. Um, like teams, the, the, the margin, the, the, the line between the second and the third line in the NHL is becoming blurred. And that's what the Canucks kind of have to um, strive for in the long term. It's not attainable next year, probably not even the year after, but long term, that has to be the goal because. Um, You've got to think about it kind of like a first line, line 2A, line 2B, and then your fourth line. Like, that's how you got to build a championship roster. Yeah, I think that's what... When people hear depth scoring, they think of the bottom six so much. But really, you are you look at some of the best teams with their best lines. Boston, I think of right off the top of my head. Colorado off the top of my head. Those top line, you're going to get goals. Vancouver's got yeah. to be in that conversation in a couple of years if they're not already there. That that top line's going to score a hell of a lot of goals. But the depth scoring is actually more about the second and third line than I would say about the fourth line. Because fourth lines in the NHL have a lot of specialists now, right? You have yeah. your penalty killer on there. You have that guy who potentially, Sam Gagne, you brought up earlier, who maybe brings something to your power play. That's how I kind of see it shaping out. Like, Adam Gaudet could be that type of power play guy because you look at the numbers with power play too. Adam got it. You know, they scored a pretty high rate. I know they don't get a lot of ice time, but when Godet's on the ice, they scored at a pretty high rate. So I think that he's a guy that can kind of be in that situation. Tyler Mott could be that fourth line guy to kill your penalties. And then you kind of just have to shape out that third line. And I think that's, what's so interesting because we talk about the top six being the strong piece for the Vancouver Canucks, the key piece to them potentially being a championship team could end up being that third line and how good they are. Exactly. And it's not just how much they score. It's the two-way element. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the problem that, you know, when you invest in a Jay Beagle um, or Brandon Sutter, at this point, the problem isn't that they don't score. Like, yeah, okay, you'd like to get more production out of, that, uh, out of them. The problem is what 
is what happens when they're on the ice defensively. Like it's not just that they're not producing, it's that they get scored on a bunch, they never possess the puck, they get thoroughly outplayed. It's like they're a a two-way liability. And so even if you don't get a huge boost in offensive production, a third line that can just capably hold their own and not get outscored, that would be a huge boon because I ran the numbers in uh, 2018-19. Worst bottom six goal differential in the NHL. And I haven't, I've looked at the numbers. I haven't I compared hard, them. Like you, a lot of people know you for your numbers. That is your Mona Lisa of numbers. When I first yeah. heard Botch talking about that a lot and really like talking about your work, that is your Mona Lisa of numbers so far. <laughs> Literally, you it's, say it's that my was favorite. The worst bottom six in the NHL. It's my favorite. And I bet you, I haven't, um, the goal differential improved a little bit because of Goddard, but it was still pretty porous. I bet you it's still bottom five in the NHL, and I'm actually crunching it again for a piece next week. So we'll see exactly where they, where they stack up. But um, yeah, that that third line, it's not just, again, it's not just we need more production out of them offensively because, look, Goddard's scoring. Jake is scoring. So it's it's not just the offensive side of things. It's the two-way element, and and I think that's going to be the key for them. Absolutely. Well, we like to close out the show with a little bit of a prospect wrap-up, but maybe we'll just have a little bit of a prospect discussion this week because I don't want to go off on the crap that's going on in Russia right now. Free pods. With Pod Colson is just starting to piss me off to an nth degree. Um, but Nils Huglander is starting his season. Actually, probably as you're listening to this podcast on Saturday morning, he's probably playing right now, and potentially I'm tweeting out gifts of him scoring his first goal of the year. Um, quads, now that we're getting regular season action from the Canucks' top two prospects... Uh, how excited are you to kind of follow them over the next, you know, potentially two months, I think, is the big thing for Huglander because these two months for Huglander mean a lot to see if, you know, what his situation will be in December when that loan is expiring. Yeah, it, I'm very excited because now it's kind of, you know, when you're watching them last year, you're like, okay, these guys are still two years away. But no, like, these guys are going to be here next season. So I think it's going to be more more people are going to be paying attention to the two players. I think Pod Colton's going to have a great showing at the World Juniors. Hoaglander's not eligible for the World Juniors, so I mean, Canucks fans will have to follow on Canucks Army to see where the uh, what the prospects are. Or doing the athletic too, give the athletic. Part. Yeah, and the athletic, and the <laughs> they athletic. do an okay job too. But um, harm for that same similar question. I mean, with Hoaglander, we talked about this with Cam Robinson on Wednesday, and you know he's over a point per game in preseason. He was excellent. I think nine points in eight games for Hoaglander. There was only five players in the SHL all last year that were a point-per-game player. If he's potentially able to play in 26 games before the loan expires is what they have right now with with Rogle. Or Rogel. I'm still trying to learn how to pronounce Rogel. that. Rogel. We just say Rogel. 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 Anyways, Rogel. you know how? I, I thought it was, I don't know. I, I've actually never known, but I've pronounced it Rogla. Rogla? But I could be off. Okay. So. Well, like the U, the O with the double dot sounds Who like cares? a U from what I heard. Anyways, <laughs> there's 26 potential games during this loan for two months with Huglander. If he's over a point per game, is he knocking on the door for Vancouver at that point? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, I think right now he is still an outside shot. Um, I... I actually broke down the numbers of a lot of these SHL scorers who produced at a similar rate as Hoglander. And when I looked at it, unless you're Elias Pettersson in your draft plus one year, it typically takes guys, even if they end up being top-end producers in their in their draft plus two seasons, it takes them a couple of years to figure out their way, especially in the AHL. Like, there is definitely a transition period. I mean, you even look at someone like Victor Arvidsson, who has erupted kind of as a 30-goal scorer recently, and it took him a lot of 
uh, time. I think Canucks fans are kind of spoiled with Elias Pettersson and Big Quinn time. Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just even look at Cody Glass as kind of like a sixth overall pick, and and he's still trying to make his hay in the NHL. And um, you even look at someone like. Uh, Noah Dobson or, or Adam Bogfist picked after Hughes. These guys are still finding their way. So it takes some of these prospects time. Um, and so I think it definitely, it would bode well for Ho- Hoglander's long-term chances of sticking as a middle six player. But I, I think you're going to have to preach a little bit of patience. I don't think it's, it, like, like, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that he, that he could challenge for a spot. It's why the Canucks signed him. Yep. Um, but I do think more likely than not, he probably, if he does come over and he's willing to play in the AHL, that that would probably be the more likely outcome. And with that playing out, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that I looked at at the time when I was writing about Huglander. Um, Emil Bemstrom was one of the perfect yeah. examples, a guy who played a draft plus two in the SHL and had a breakout season uh, in that year. Then he comes straight over after a full year of SHL. Next season, 10, 10 goals, 10 assists, I believe, in his first year with the Columbus Blue Jackets this past year. And I wonder, like, like, a lot of people are very excited about Huglander. A lot of people want to think that he's going to be a Christmas present for the Vancouver Canucks when he comes over during that break and can potentially join the team. But the problem is, if training camp sets off even even two weeks late of what they're projecting right now on November 17th, like, even if it's two weeks late, Huglander's still not there at training camp. So, with without a training camp, it just feels like it's going to be very hard for him to impress enough. But is it going to take something like... You know, if he's a point per game, you, you you almost can't say no to that point. I mean, if if he's putting up numbers that we we just haven't seen, like I mentioned, five players all last year in the SHL point per game. Shades of Elias Pettersson. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, draft plus two, right? That's a huge difference yeah. too. But that's that's what's pissed me off. People will be like, "Oh, he's not putting up Pettersson numbers." It's like, dude, <laughs> nobody in the history of the SHL put up numbers like Pettersson did in his draft plus one. So how are you going to make that argument, anyways? Like for him to be an impact player. I think he's going to just like I wonder what I, I like I don't know what it's going to take for him to be an impact player immediately in December. Is there something that you maybe need to see from him in this early part of the SHL season? I think it's got to be the maturation of his two-way game. I think it um it did improve a lot this past year. I remember talking to Chris Abbott, the GM of Rogla, and um, he he was complimentary of Hoglander's two-way game and kind of just the effort and strides that he's put in. And remember, this is a guy that he, yes, he's undersized, but since 16, he's played in the Allsvenskan. Like, this is a guy that, from a very young age, has played against men. So I think that has kind of just accelerated the learning curve for him. So I think I, I think that would be the key. And I think the other, the most prominent factor for Hoglander is going to be the need and the potential fit when next season rolls around. We still don't know what Vancouver's roster kind of looks like. We don't know exactly how the winger depth is going to shape out to look like. Because let's say hypothetically, and you definitely don't want this to happen, but knock on wood, let, let's say one of Pearson or or Miller goes down with injury at some point. Well, then all of a sudden, who's your second best left winger? Is it... Yeah. Is it Antoine Roussel? Is it Tyler Mott? So then all of a sudden, you've got a potential offensive opportunity. Whereas if the team's fully healthy and let's say Adam Goddard's your 3C again, well, then Travis Green may look at Hoglander and say, I don't know if I can run a kid line with 
Hoglander got at and, and whoever on the right wing. So um, I think a lot of it just is going to be factors outside of Hoglander's control. Right. Um, and it's and that's why it's kind of unfortunate. Like, it's the same thing that I mentioned with Vertanen, where it's like if you had a more... If you had, like, a veteran two-way matchup center who could be... Who could take care of his own end and help prop up a player like Hoglander it would make it so much easier for him to translate and, and sort of integrate into the lineup a lot easier. Um, so again, I think it's just going to be a lot of factors outside of his control. And that's that's the thing. Like It would be that moment that you talked about of maybe a top six spot being open Yeah, would be there if he were to go to the AHL and wait, and maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't happen. And yeah. I, I think that's a good way for him to develop. I think if he is putting up you know, relatively close to a point per game in the SHL, he probably should be over in North America playing hockey. But for his development, for him being comfortable, maybe the SHL is the best route. And I think that's where we're going to see him play out the season. I think what we're going to have, what we're going to have happen is he'll come over here. Maybe he gets to skate with the team for a little bit, do some practices, and then it's going to be decided. Okay, let's let's send you back to the SHL. Go have a good rest of your year. We like what the team is doing with you in development. We saw him on the first line in their last preseason game. So you know he's getting power play time. They're they're using him a lot. Unlike the guy that I wanted to close out the episode talking about, it's been a story I think a lot of people have been talking about this week. Pod Colson, his most recent game, he plays in the lowest ice time of the year. Um, quads, what did you think when you saw the numbers from free Pod pods? Lately? Same thing as last week, man. Just hashtag free pods. We've got to get it trending. We've got to get the head coach in Russia to see it because, yeah, it, it's tough to see because, you know, you look at that fourth line, the kid line, they struggle when he's not with them. So it's kind of like he's getting punished for their poor play. So I don't know. Like, it's, it's well, tough Marchenko to watch. Marchenko goes up to the first line the yeah, other day. Exactly. And so, I, like, like, Harm, when you see the situation, is it, do you think that there's something like Cam mentioned this on the show? He said, because Pod Colson didn't sign that five year extension that was sent his way. Uh, you know, I know you've had conversations with the, with the group. And, like, what do you think the situation, like, how would you, Talk someone through the situation that's just freaking out right now about Pod Colson. Yeah, I mean, and it's mind-boggling because, and and Faber, you can attest to this. Pod Colson is an outstanding two-way forward. Like the issue for young players trying to make it in, say, the NHL and earn a earn a prominent role. Like you look at the Jake Vertanen, it's usually that you don't trust them enough to play a responsible game. Pod Colson is not that guy. He is. He never cheats for offense, fantastic on the back check, 110% effort, sprawling to block shots. He's got an, an, an advanced NHL caliber two-way game already, and that's why it's most frustrating. And I think part of it is just, uh, I remember talking to Igor Aronko, who's now um, uh, an assistant general manager for a KHL team, and he looked at Scott and said, this is just, it's one of the most veteran-savvy clubs in the NHL. It's one of the most expensive, like richest clubs. It's just, they don't care about the development of their young players. Like that's quite simply it. But they don't care they, about developing them. The only thing is like you mentioned, you've seen him play a lot. He's impactful on every shift. You think that they would be caring about getting production. He would give them production, you know, in yeah, their I don't know. I, I don't know. And all I can see is sure. They get, they get skills coaches and they get like, help with skating that you wouldn't otherwise on, on some of the other KHL clubs. But when Scott sees pod goals and signing in Vancouver, they do not give a damn about yeah. his, his development. They could care less. 
And obviously from Vancouver's perspective, you can't do anything, right? Like you'd love to bring him over and just throw him in the AHL if he could, but it's not possible with this contract situation. And um, I think it is a situation where you kind of just have to let him play out. And yeah, maybe it slows down um, his development. Like maybe when he does eventually arrive in North America, he's not as developed offensively because he hasn't had the freedom to roam around. But that's the difficulty because if Pod Colson's coming over to North America, he's going to want to play in the NHL. And so it is frustrating, but we've seen the situation before where pro- high-end prospects kind of don't get um, a ton of ice time if they play in men's leagues. And um, look, Pod Colson's a hardworking kid. I wouldn't be too worried about it. It's just more frustrating than anything else, simply for the fact that you can't tell what his, like you don't know how good he is yet. Yeah. That's the problem. No, you just true. kind of have to wait and yeah. see. But you know what? At the same time, and and I know we, we were talking about baseball a little bit when you took a break there. Um, it's like when you swing a bat, like a, a weighted bat. I don't know if they have this in cricket. Do you ever have like a heavier one? No, no. And then you go no. and switch to the light no. one? Maybe not. It's like with the donut fan. ring you put on a bat to make it heavier. Yeah, so yeah, no, swing, actually, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, you swing with that a couple times, yeah. then you take the light bat in your hands, or you take or you take it off and the bat's and way it lighter. Feels lighter. Yeah, and it's like a feather, right? I feel like that's what we're going to see at the World Juniors. Like they are just going to... They're going to take all the chains off Pod Colson. Mm. He's going to be playing 25 minutes a night in the World <laughs> yeah. Juniors. He's going to, I think he's going to be the best player at this tournament. Good I don't analogy. Think, I don't think there's going to be any other player in this tournament as good as Vasily Pod Colson that's, you know, an NHL-ready player at that age, and he's in this tournament, though he should be in the NHL. Like, that's what I see with Vasily Pod Colson. He will be the most NHL-ready player in the World Junior Tournament, and I think he's going to absolutely rip it up for Russia. No, no, no contest there, man. Yeah, I, 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 that's I can that's see what that. I'm like looking forward to with the pod goals and situation right now because like we're not getting it from Russia, but he's going to be over here in North America. Maybe they can, you know, maybe he can't go back to Russia because of COVID or something uh, once he gets here to Edmonton, and maybe we'll keep him. I don't know. Yeah, that's like, and you know, look, never know. Just, <laughs> he will out of the bubble. <laughs> and look, he's like as a player, he's not going to be like an Elias Pettersson or Brock Besser, like don't expect him to kind of step into an NHL lineup and be this like 70, 80 point guy. But what you're going to get out of pod Colson is a complimentary to a top six piece that you win with, right? Like this is a guy who power forward through and through um, does anything you need to help you win games. Like you think about how Horvat was deployed in matchup role and, and how they've how they've kind of had this missing right wing piece who could play in a shutdown winger role while also adding say like 40 40 to 50 points like that's the type of player that uh Pod Colson could turn into I don't want to set the bar too high and like and and, ma- and make un- unrealistic comparisons but he would kind of be like a lesser offensive version of a Mark Stone like that's the type of potential. That's the type of ceiling that Pod Colson has, where the point totals aren't going to do him justice. It's all the other attributes he has. Like he's a player who plays on the inside, pays the price to get to the front of the net. Like he is, he's he's a playoff player. Yeah. Like you talk about Vegas and St. Louis, and people say, "Oh, look at these heavy teams that get it on the forecheck, responsible two ways, can um, score when there's no space on the ice." Like that's the type of player yeah. Pod Colson is. They yeah. need his skill set. It's what people wanted Jake Vertanen to be. That's exactly how Pod yeah, Colson plays. Yeah. The type of player that I see Pod Colson as. And I've been saying this for a long time. Like he's not, like you mentioned, he's not going to come in and score the points like Pedersen did. But he's going to woo us in the same way that those rookies came in and did. I think like we're going to see the effort level that he brings oh, yeah. and what he brings to an NHL game and how he impacts a game differently than a Pedersen or a Hughes or a Besser. And I think that's what like 
the the comparison to Mark Stone, I've heard that a lot. I think that he's I think he's like a winger version of the best part of Ryan Kessler. Like he hmm. he also plays a very similar spot in the power play. Like his best work on the power play is right in front of the net, like Ryan Kessler yeah. was at banging pucks in, tipping pucks in. And I think when you saw like a young Ryan Kessler on the forecheck, I think like obviously he's not a center, but I think that like Pod Colson plays the game so much like what I saw Ryan Kessler play like that. I think Canucks fans are going to fall in love with him, you know, similar to what they did with Ryan Kessler. Hopefully the off-ice stuff is okay with Pod Colson. <laughs> like he seems like a good dude so far, so I'm hoping it's all chill with that. But, like, I think that's the type of player that people are going to fall in love with. I think he's going to be a Ryan Kessler type of winger. Yeah. I Obviously, I don't think he has the same um, offensive upside, um, but – you, you don't need that in your top six, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it, any, anything more than say like 50 points would just be a cherry on top. And um, that number is not, and it's, it's attainable, right? Like it feels it's attainable. like from what yeah. we've seen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He's going to kill penalties. He's going to be on your power play unit. Everything. He's going to do all the grunt work in the top six. He's kind of going to be that, like retrieve the puck, Mm. almost kind of like the Alex Burroughs type of role yep. um, on your team. And and for that reason, especially on an ELC, like he could be a highly, highly, highly valuable player for the Canucks over the next two, three years. Harmon, really good stuff. I think we've broken a record for longest interview ever. Like, what <laughs> single interview? Is this? Us, he's not an interview. He joined us for the show. Yeah, know? I guess. I guess. It's he's our first in-studio guest. Sure, so. but we've had other in-studio guests that we didn't go this long with. Have we? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had Al Murdoch in studio, Britton Bachelor. I, I thought you said it was the first in-studio guest. In this studio. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, like, I'm we kidding. We brought the other folks to the PCIT studio. But you right. got to see the half foam on the walls, the jersey hanging up, the poster. You got to see a little bit. And you got to open some cards with us, I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, a full this experience. Is a big deal. This is a big deal, Harm. But, uh, yeah, Harm, what else? Like, you mentioned you're working on some pieces right now. Off-seasons, obviously, I'm not going to get you to tell everything. Um, but for people who don't know... Uh, if you're not on the athletic, get on it right now. And I $1. know there's, there's a promo code right now for a dollar a month, uh, which is ridiculous. I actually might have to cancel mine and resubscribe because, like, <laughs> last year I ended up paying 65 bucks because I didn't use no promo codes. Uh, so I'm gonna have to, you know, I'm gonna cancel and resubscribe with that promo code for sure. Uh, do that if you want as well. And if you're not already on the athletic, um, definitely check it out. I know they're gonna have bonus podcasts as well with uh, the Van Cast that are gonna be coming back uh, to two shows a week. As I was listening to that on the way over here. And, uh, and yeah, some writing's coming up for you. What You got anything else in the pipeline here? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, today I wrote about trade targets. And I think uh, Monday or Tuesday I'm going to have this. And I love doing this type of deep dive. I'm going to – I've got some really exciting data from uh, Dom Lushijan, who's the analytics writer. Um, and he's got his like, big model. Oh, dude, guys, eh? he's brilliant. I love him. Um, and so I'm going to – I have a breakdown of – kind of what the championship roster, like the average Stanley Cup contender looks like in terms of like what value each, um, like what value player you kind of need in each role. Like how good does your 3C need to be? How good does your like mm. right side defense need to be? And so I've got that template and now I'm going to stack it up against what the Canucks have and like kind of map out and compare each part of the roster and look at, okay, how many pieces are they away from a cup contender? Damn. This sounds amazing. And, <laughs> oh my God. And then like, how do you acquire those pieces? So I'm really excited for that one. Wow. So if you're not on the athletic, do it in the next <laughs> oh, two, three days here, sign up for it. But, but I wonder, like, do you have any other projects, anything else that you work on aside from, you know, putting out articles? On what are you athletic? trying to dig here? <laughs> No, starting a cricket team potentially. No, no, play slow pitch with us or something. No, <laughs> um, no. I mean, just like working on articles, you know, like yeah. six fifty hits in Quads' car, you know, like. 
That's how we roll. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, well, Harmon, this has been a lot of fun. We're going to close out here. We might have to clip that part about that article because I'm really excited to read it, if I'm being honest with you. But for Chris Faber and Harmon Dial, my name is David Quadrelli. You've been listening to episode 103, 103 of the Canucks Conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.